Well, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level, exclusively now part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. And wow, I'm excited today to introduce yes. our co-host for today's show, Ryan Leak. Yes. Uh, Ryan is a speaker, author. I mean, you're an executive coach, currently the CEO of the Ryan Leak Group, That's as correct. well yeah. as a member of a teaching team at Covenant Church in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Uh, I was there just a couple of weeks ago. Always enjoy going to Dallas. Oh, Great awesome. place to be. But yeah. uh, it's an honor to welcome you to the podcast. Today. Man, I'm so honored to be here. I love everything that SEU is doing. It's well, really thank cool. you. You're here uh, for our conference, and That's just right. excited to hear hear you tonight. And uh, thank you for investing in our students. So Absolutely. so privileged to have you with us. Yeah. In today's episode, uh, I'm excited to talk about, of course, leadership. Yep. And Ryan, through your leadership development firm, you have the opportunity to partner. My goodness, alongside uh, leaders in yeah. so many areas, uh, leading them, uh, helping them to lead their organizations to to new levels. Uh, you train more than, what is it, fifteen over 15,000 leaders yeah, some, about a year? Like yeah, so, somewhere around there. I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's amazing, both in yeah. the church and in the corporate world. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us um, uh, about your passion for leadership? Why do you, what motivates you to, to come alongside leaders and helping them in their organizations? Well, I think leaders have a unique opportunity. Sometimes uh, they were put in that position uh, because of um, maybe who their dad was. Sometimes they were put in that position because of the degree that they got. Sometimes they were put in that position because of crisis. However they got to their position, it's a very unique position in the organization, and it has such a great impact. There's so many people in life that don't have a mentor. They don't have a father. And oftentimes they look for the person in their life that's well in charge. And so... That leader not only has the influence to impact economics or um, sales in their company, they have an opportunity to influence lives. So that's why I'm so passionate about working with leaders, because I work on getting that leader healthy. And if that leader's healthy, then I think that company can be healthy, too. Yeah. Now, you, uh, again, as mentioned, you work with thousands of, of leaders and coming alongside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you think about leadership... Mm-hmm. What are some of the great strengths that are important for leaders to have, and especially in the context, in the world that we live in today? Absolutely. Uh, I would say number one is self-awareness. Self-awareness. If uh, That is probably the greatest work that I do, is providing a mirror for a leader, is to yeah. go, this is what it's like on the other side of you. When a leader is extremely self-aware, uh, they're they're untouchable in, in in my in my world. I think you can become an invincible leader when you just have a high sense of awareness because you're aware of your blind spots. But we've all worked with or worked for a leader that was just not aware of sure. their blind spots. And what did you do? You danced around them because you wanted to keep the job. Right, you didn't right. want to get fired. You saw what happened to the last guy that was honest with them. So I found that the leaders that have harnessed the ability to invite honesty into their life do really well in life. Now, when you talk about self-awareness, what are some of the components? What what things do you walk through when it comes to self-awareness? Well, one, um, I try to measure their level of humility. Okay. Um, I, I, I do a lot of, um, a lot of teaching around letting go of your rightness, your rightness, your uh, infatuation with always needing to be right. Mm. Um, the number one question I ask a leader is, when was the last time you told your team you were wrong? 
That should happen uh, about once a month. Sure. And if it's not, you can't possibly be that good. Like, yeah. who's that good? Like, there should be a consistent amount of times where you simply raise your hand and go, my bad. Yeah. I messed up. I made the wrong call. I had the wrong perspective. The more you're able to do that, the more that team's going to feel like they can actually be be honest with you. And so uh, I think that there should there should be a constant um, movement for a leader to be able to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm consistently admitting my errors. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't, a, a, a great leader doesn't have to be the smartest person in the room. Right. And, and that's so, so good. Now, as you work with leaders, what would be some uh, red flags that you, mm-hmm. you see and you go, ah, there's some things there that are going to have to be worked on? Oh, you know, I, I think, not just, um, I, I guess it would be the second side of not just self-awareness, but the awareness of reading the room, emotional intelligence. Ah, yes. Okay. So not only am I aware of what's going on with me, but I also need to be aware of what's happening with someone else to be able to recognize if a person of color or a, a minority in any way, shape or form in the organization is having a hard time. Would I even know that? Mm. Would I be paying attention enough to be able to read the room. I've watched many leaders walk in rooms that they did not read, but because they were the leader, they thought, well, I'm just going to say whatever what I, I want to say. say. Yeah. But uh, great leaders, um, well, to answer your question exactly, a red flag is when the leader doesn't have the emotional intelligence mm-hmm. to read a room. How, how, how much does um, self-management play, um, the discipline aspect oh, yeah. of being a, a leader? How does that, how, how does that play? You know, I, I think the reality is when you're the leader, you've got to lead yourself mm. because there's no one else to come alongside you and give you a motivational speech every morning at 6 a.m. Right. So you've got to have questions in your realm. You've got to set up some accountability in your realm that goes beyond a board because in, in all reality, most boards, leaders report what they want to report to those boards and makes them look a certain way. I'm talking about real accountability. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about real like admitting something to a group of people that are holding you accountable to say, hey, you know what? I have the tendency to procrastinate and I know I can put this off. I know I know I can get away with murder in this because I'm the leader. Right. right. No one's going to question me because right. they're afraid to. I don't want that. And so I think it takes great work for a leader to in great humility to be able to go to a group of people and say, hey, hold me, hold me accountable. I, yeah. I don't want to get away with murder. Yeah. You know, everyone's leadership uh, is shaped by by their own experiences, mm-hmm. uh, good, great, bad, difficult. Uh, some of us have been blessed to learn from good leadership, yep. uh, while others have uh, more so learn what not to do with right. certain uh, leaders. But each situation can still bring, obviously, a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Um, talk to us about some of the experiences that marked your journey in leadership. <sighs> What a great question. You know, I I think I had a front row seat to some amazing leaders, and I also had a front row seat to some bad leaders. Mm. I actually learned more from the bad Bad leaders leaders, about what not to do to go, oh, that's how he made this person feel. That's how she made this person feel. So I want to make sure I do the opposite of what they did when it comes to some of these scenarios. And so... Um, I, I, when I think about one that has, has marked me the most, uh, it has to be uh, my pastor in Dallas. 
His name's Ricky Tejada. There was a moment in my leadership where I wanted to cuss somebody out. Oh, I was hot. <laughs> I was hot. Yeah, I was ready. <laughs> I was hot. And I called him and he was just so calm, like eerily calm. I'm like, you should be mad with me. And he asked me a question that really changed my leadership. He said, well, have you prayed about it? Mm. And it seems simple, yeah. but I had thought about it. I read books about it. I had talked to friends about it. But I actually, if I was honest, I don't think I had ever prayed about it, mm. ever. And he, and he challenged me to do something. He said these words. He said, Ryan, pray for an opportunity to be honest. Wow. Pray for an opportunity to be honest. And I was frustrated with somebody who was over me. So the dynamics there were complicated, but that's what I did. I prayed for an opportunity to be honest. And about two or three months later, the door opened in a way where I could share something that was really bothering me with much grace instead of aggression. Yeah. And so um, that moment has marked my leadership often when I want to react emotionally to an event, a circumstance, an email, but then I just, I pause yeah. and just go, Lord, give me an opportunity to express these emotions in the right way in a healthy manner. Yeah. What would you say to uh, people who have been hurt mm -hmm. by past leadership? Uh, two things I would say to them. Number one, don't make somebody else pay for what they did. Mm. Don't make somebody else pay for what they did. I, I've, I've, I had a front row seat to that. I've sat in meetings where the leader arrives angry. The meeting hadn't even started. How can yeah. you be mad at somebody? It's Monday. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like, but was taking out something that was done to him mm. on us. And, yeah. and, and you don't want to do that. The, the second thing that you want to do is um, I, I believe that every leader has to have a leader. And it's, it's why I'm so passionate about executive coaching. Um, I work with professional athletes. And professional athletes understand coaching more than anybody. They, they've had a coach their entire, entire life. life. Sure. And so um, I don't you take singers, they have a vocal coach. Right. I mean, you, you look at some of these greats, they have coaches just for even specific parts of their life. And so I think every leader needs to have somebody in their corner that has a perspective that is contrary to theirs to say, hey, let me allow me to be a little bit of a referee and make some calls for you when you're when when things are just a little bit off or you're taking something out on somebody that really isn't um isn't the suspect there. Yeah. They're, they're not the one that hurts you. Somebody else did. And so, and I think that's a way of, of being able to admit, hey, I, I'm actually hurt here. And so let, let me make sure that I have a, a healthy outlet to process what's going on with me. Yeah, that's rich. Now, I, I, I don't want to miss an opportunity to talk to you about your documentary. Sure. Uh, you know, the surprise wedding back in June of 2013, you yes. made the decision to propose to uh, your girlfriend at the time, also yep. got married on the same night That's correct. that you That's proposed. Correct. That, mm -hmm. uh, the catch was that you had been planning the wedding all along. Tell the story about the surprise wedding. Yes. Yeah, so my wife thought it would be cool to get engaged and married on the same day. She told a friend that. I overheard it. I was like, I don't know what that means. And so I just, I took a couple years and just started planning wow. to see. And really for me, it was, it was, it wasn't as much of a risk. For two years, I was wondering if it was in me. Could I even pull it off? And I thought, if I don't, well, then I just get married like a normal person. Sure. Like, you know, like it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. So, yeah, two years of trying things, 
failing and <laughs> messing stuff up, but nobody knew. Yeah. So I, I really didn't have that much to lose. So yeah, June 7, 2013, got down on one knee, said, Amanda, will you marry me? Hollywood, Florida, Western Diplomat Hotel. And she said, yes. I said, just kidding. Will you marry me today? And we opened up wow. this lounge room door and, and uh, about 75 of our family and friends were standing in there with the sign that said, today, rolled in a dress, hairstylist, makeup artist, everything that you would wow. need to get engaged and married. On the that, is, that is amazing. Yeah. What was going through your mind the day all of that happened? Panic. Sheer panic. Um, Florida, you know Florida well. Oh, I live yeah. in Texas. So yeah. uh, Florida had, at the time, I believe the, the worst storm in Hollywood, Florida history. Wow. Maseratis were underwater, and I had planned oh, no. an outdoor wedding. So the stress was was pretty high all around, but the Western Diplomat was fantastic. And, you know, we made we literally made new arrangements all in a day. Wow. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, what did you learn about leadership facing that kind of stress and chaos? You know... Part of the surprise wedding from a leadership perspective, which no one has ever asked me that question. I've been married eight years, so that, that's impressive. Kudos to you. Um, what I learned about leadership there was you got to be able to cast a compelling vision. Mm. And in getting all of her friends and family on board and getting the caterer on board and the hotel on board with what had never been done to my knowledge, I wasn't Googling surprise wedding. You know, it was sometimes as a leader. You just have a shovel in your hand and you're paving away. Yeah. And people are going, where are we going? You're like, ah, you will let you know when I <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, good, the yeah. next dig. So <laughs> um, so casting vision is important and, and, and getting people on board with that and keeping them motivated. And the hardest part about all of it was keeping it a secret. Yeah. Wow. So, and having other people. Keep, so, it, a keep it a secret. Oh, my so. goodness. What are um, – let me ask you this. What are some keys to casting – the kind of vision that gets um, gets everyone on board. Yeah. What would be some components to that? You know, I think the why has to be compelling. And it, it can't be just because it's your job. I think more than ever in 2021, people can smell when someone's being fake. Mm. Uh, we, we've learned what political correctness sounds yeah. like now. So leaders can't get away with what they used to be able to get away with um, in terms of mission statement, vision statement. It's It's right. got to be real. Right. Uh, what we're learning about the generation that you're helping craft and shape their minds here at SEU is they ask more questions than right. past generations. Right. And so they ask why. So my mom, when told to tie that church, was like, cool, that's what we do. Well, my generation would go, well, why? Well, why do we do it? Yeah. And, and, and just because it says that in Malachi, you're going right. to need a better reason right. than Malachi yeah. for forgiving and philanthropy and generosity. And so I think really um, not just coming up with a piffy statement or paying a you know marketing company to come up with something that's a little bit more authentic. I think it has to be authentic. Yeah. I think leaders can feel tempted to do things to either uh, look good, feel good, or do good. Hmm. And all of us feel that, like, well, th how does this make us look? Especially in a culture where you can get canceled for just about anything. Right. So how does this make us look? And some of us just feel bad. We're like, well, I see what's kind of going on in the world, so let me do something. But I think really great leaders 
do really great work when they're just trying to do good. Mm. And sometimes it doesn't look the best, but I think people will give you the benefit of the doubt when they know that your heart's right. Yeah. Yeah. In May of, of 2020, you released mm. your latest book, Chasing Failure, What uh, If Losing Was the Quickest Way to mm-hmm. Win. Talk to us about the story behind Chasing Failure. So Chasing Failure, um, I, I had an opportunity to meet Kobe Bryant uh, through the Queen Latifah show on the heels of the surprise wedding. And, you know, getting ready to meet Kobe, uh, the late, great Kobe, yeah. I, I just didn't know what we were going to talk about. I just, I, I was, I was nervous. I, I thought, man, the only, the only way we're going to have an engaging conversation is if we, if we talk about work. And yeah. if that was, if I was in the NBA. So I played college ball, was all American and, and could do my thing, but not at the, not at the, at the NBA level. And at the time I didn't know if I could play at the NBA level. I had never even tried. I never even tried for a G League team. So uh, I just decided to to go for it, realizing I would fail, and I thought, man, why do we why do we do this? Why do we go away from the thing that has really made most of the successful people we know who they are? They failed at some point in time, and so I did some research on uh, the stress levels of people jumping out of airplanes. And so this mm. researcher actually had her patients jump out of an airplane over and over again. So they'd fly up, jump out and get back on the plane and jump out. And she measured their heart rates each time. Fascinating, wow. So the first time that they jumped, the stress levels were incredibly high. By the third jump, their stress level was on par with somebody that was simply running late to work. Hmm. So there's something about just taking risk that you kind of get used to it, where it doesn't feel risky anymore. I was writing a proposal last night for a company and I was looking at my wife, she's just like, you, this used to scare you. This used to, he goes, now you just, you, you just, you just do it. Well, it's because I've been jumping out of the airplane for a while now. Yeah. And so, so that's what I learned. So I had an opportunity to go try out for the Phoenix Suns and I failed. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to so, ask you about that. I, yeah. I knew you tried out for them. What did you learn about yourself in that process? Oh my goodness. I, I, I learned that the NBA is more than what we see on television. Right. And I think it's easy for the media to have opinions about these superb athletes and what they're thinking and how they, but they don't have a clue, you yeah, know, yeah. and what they have to go through to be who they are. Um, Phoenix, their medical staff, I want to say the ratio was, I think, two to one. I think there were two players for every doctor. Wow. So, I mean, just imagine having someone that's caring for every ligament on your body to make sure, I mean, you're a multi-million dollar a- asset. Right. So they're going to do everything to make sure that you're, you're healthy. Meal plans, strength and conditioning coach. Um, they had a, um, a chamber where they could put you in Denver elevation to prepare for the Denver Nuggets. Well, they don't have that at 24-hour fitness. Right, you know what right, I mean? Like, exactly. I mean, there's, there's no, to, to compete, you've, you've got to have everything that they have in their world. So that, that was... That was that was very an eye opening ex- experience, yeah. um, and just the the dedication that it takes to yeah. to, to be at that level is yeah. impeccable. 
Yeah, my uh, my first career was in television sports, and I had the privilege to cover uh, the Showtime Lakers yeah. uh, at that time. So yeah. Magic Johnson and Kareem oh, yeah. Abdul-Jabbar and James Worthy, but to to have the the inside look to watch their dedication and their discipline. I mean, they were up early in the morning yeah. at the gym and staying late at night. Yeah. And, you know, we look at the finished product, you look at Showtime Lakers and like, wow, it's yeah. seamless. They're, you know, but the hard work that they put in to, oh my God. to make that, it, it is, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah. uh, I, I want to ask you a, a little bit further. So when it comes to dedicating yourself to being disciplined, what are the things that you have to, what kind of framework do you have to set up for that to be accomplished? I think you have to be willing to invest in yourself. Mm. And uh, one of the things that I'm learning, uh, even in the book world as an author, my agent taught me this. And I wish my agent would have taught me this years ago. She said, the most successful authors take their advance or the money that they're given for the book and they put it back into the book. And that's how their books do well. And so the books that you see on New York Times bestsellers, well, they're not there on accident. <laughs> they're not just because they're just really great books. Yes, they're good books, but they had to invest and, and put some things behind it. And so I think part of the dedication of if someone really saying, I'm really dedicated to this, they've got to invest in themselves to say, okay, what do I have to do to get better uh, as a leader? Sometimes that's investing in a coach. Right, Sometimes right. that's investing in going to a conference. Sometimes that's investing in taking your team on a fun night. I mean, investment, investment, investment proves your level of of dedication. Yeah, man, I gotta, I gotta, I could talk with you all night. You, you are bringing some great insight. We've got to close our conversation out, but I want to move into a quick fire round. Let's and do it. this is with every guest. Just uh, ask some questions, and with your gut, just yes. give some answers. So yes. here we go. First yep. one: What are the three most important characteristics of a leader? Humility. Competence and honesty. How does a leader respond to criticism? Slowly. <laughs> That's good. How does a leader admit they need help? Fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How do leaders hold themselves accountable? They shouldn't. They should call someone else. Someone else. That. Yeah. That's good. Final question How do you avoid burnout as a leader? <laughs> It's a great question. How do you avoid burnout? I think accountability helps you with that to be able to to be able to give an outside perspective to say, "Hey, you're going too fast." Yeah. And um, I think you got you have to be able to invite other people in. It's hard. To, burnout is tricky. Burnout's hard to see in the mirror. Yeah. I want to add just one more question to that because I think yeah. it kind of follows up a little bit. How how do you know how to say yes to something mm. and no to something? I've learned this from John Maxwell about giving um, 80% of your energy to the top 20% of what you get a return on investment with. And I think that that's really, really important to to make sure that you're not just – what's what's giving you the best ROI? Yeah. So – you only have so much time and you have to make sure your priorities are, are there, that you're spending time with your family, that yeah. you're, you're doing all of those things. But you, you don't want to waste time 
on things that aren't bringing you the most return on investment. Yeah. Ryan, man, I want to thank you for joining us Absolutely. today on Framework Leadership. Yes. I'm grateful for the insight that you uh, you provide so many leaders and you're providing with us. And, of course, you're going to invest in our students. Yes. It's going to be amazing. If you want to, to stay up to date with Ryan and all he's doing, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter, at Ryan Leak, as well as his website, ryanleak.com. Well, that's all we have for today's episode. For more content, all you have to do is head over to kenningle.com, where you can check out the latest blogs and all the articles. You can also check out on Facebook, Instagram, at Kent Engel, or at Kent underscore Engel, at Twitter, at Kent Engel. See you next time on Framework Leadership.